This morning I want to talk about keepers of the fire. Now, let me remind you that a keeper is one who maintains or looks after something or someone. And sometimes you say, you know, how do you come up with all this? Well, the week after Easter, Heather and I were able to get away for a few days. And we went down to our favorite place, Cape May. And the place where we stay, the there, in the, in the la- lobby, there's a restaurant, and they have a working fireplace. And then off the lobby, there's another room that has a working fireplace where people sit, and it's a very comfortable area. And we were sitting there one day, and, and I noticed, according to my watch, every half hour, someone came in, a maintenance man came in, to, to maintain the fire. In the restaurant... In that lounge, literally every half hour, a maintenance person came in to maintain the fire. Someone asked about the maintenance of the fire, and the guy said this. He said, from early fall to late spring, these fires go 24-7. They never go out. And I'm sitting there on vacation, and all I'm thinking is a sermon Here's a sermon illustration. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some may not. But here I am trying to relax, and I'm watching these men come in every half hour to maintain the fire, and all I'm thinking of is a sermon illustration. Anybody getting it? In the Old Testament, it was the responsibility of the priests To keep the fire going on the altar. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In Leviticus chapter 6 verse 8 through 9. The Lord said to Moses. Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning. The fire must be kept burning on the altar. Verses 10 through 11 talk about their clothing. Verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Are you getting it? The fire must be kept burning. The fire must be kept burning. You may be seated. As the maintenance personnel kept that fire burning, as the priests kept the fire burning on the altar, let me remind you, It's our responsibility to keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our lives. And I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, but pastor, you know, I'm not a priest. That's your job. It's your job to keep the fire burning. It's the... It's the obligation of my husband. My husband is the priest of the home. It's his responsibility to keep the fire burning. 
But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Do you know what that verse means? That verse means through our relationship with Jesus Christ, He has made every one of you a priest because He has given you access to His throne room. And as He has given you access to the throne room of God, He has made you a priest. So it's all of our responsibility. It's our responsibility to maintain the fire, to guard the fire, to make sure that fire is not going out. The fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, in Paul's final instructions to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, here are some final instructions for you, church. Live in peace with everyone. Take care of the weak. Be kind. To one another. Be joyful. Pray continuously. In all circumstances, give thanks. And, do you know what he says next? With all of that, and, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. We cannot allow our cinders to cease. We cannot allow our coals to become cold. We cannot allow the fire to falter. We have been given a responsibility not to put out the moving, the fire of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in our life. In the King James, it says this. Quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. That that word quench means you cannot suppress. We are not to suppress the moving of the Holy Spirit. We are not to quench. We are not to extinguish. And isn't it interesting That when Paul tells us to put on the armor of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Aren't you glad for the shield of faith that when Satan comes around and starts shooting those fiery darts, arrows, we can extinguish them? But God help us if we extinguish, if we quench, if we put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have a responsibility to the third person of the Trinity who takes up residence in our life. Not to put out his fire. And as I view society today, the church today, I find us in danger of trying to suppress, put out, quench, 
extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's revelation must not be extinguished by human rationalism. Let me explain this. What do I mean by revelation? Spirit's revelation. Revelation is communication from God to his children on earth. The creator of this universe is also a personal God who communicates to you and I through his spirit. I mean, that's incredible. That's phenomenal that God communicates to us. He communicates to us through his word. Let me give you this example. Remember when John was on the island of Patmos as an exile. An angel of the Lord came to him in a vision. And that angel revealed to John what was to come. And as a result, in our Bibles, we have the book of Revelation. Of what is to come. God communicating to us what is to come. And you know what? For those in Christ, guess what? In the end, we win. No one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. That's why it's important we don't quench the fire of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that reveals the things of God. Let me give you this illustration. As a younger teenager, I would try to read the Bible and honestly, boring. I got nothing out of it. Then at the age of 15, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ and gave my heart to Jesus and became born again, and the third person of the Trinity took up residence and his Spirit started to reveal the thoughts of God, oh my goodness, the Bible became alive. And I started to understand as the Spirit revealed to me the things of God. And I know that you have had the same type of experience. Now what do I mean by human rationalism or human reasoning? Instead of giving a definition, I want to give you an illustration. Remember in Acts chapter 9, the Lord had an angel appear to one of the Lord's disciples, a disciple by the name of Ananias. And through a revelation, through God communicating with his child, his disciple, through an angelic vision, God told Ananias to go to the home of Judas on Straight Street, because there was a man from Damascus named Saul, who was what? Blind. He was praying. And God told Ananias to go lay hands on him so his, his sight would be restored. Now, here is human reasoning. Lord Ananias said... I've heard many reports about this man and the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. 
Do you know how easy it would have been from reasoning humanly not to go? The Lord is asking me to go see a man who's been killing Christians, who've been persecuting Christians, who has come with authority from the chief priests to arrest all the followers of Jesus, and you want me to go? And let me ask, when God said, go, would you have relied on human reasoning or would you have relied on spirit revelation? When I look at the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ, I realize that a lot of of his teachings were were apparent contradiction to the rationale thinking of the time and even today. We're told in this world to what? Hate our enemies. God says, love your enemies. The world says, get even, retaliate. God says, forgive. The world says, be first. God says, be last. The world says, exalt yourself. Jesus says, humble yourselves. And Paul even says in the book of Philippians, consider others better than yourself. The world says, be aggressive, be the best, seek everything. God says, humble, be a servant, seek my will. The world says, you owe it to yourself to please yourself. The Bible tells us, oh, we don't hear much about this anymore. Die to yourself. When was the last time you heard a whole message? It's no longer I that live, but who? Christ who lives in me. And all of a sudden, human reasoning, human rationale, human wisdom under the influence of Satan, begins to extinguish the revelations of God. Pastor, how is it that you expect me to give a tenth of my income, that I'm to tithe? Well, first off, I don't, but it's a principle that's found in God's word. How is it that the Bible expects me to tithe to give a tenth of my income when I don't have enough money to pay my other bills. And what begins to happen is we begin to extinguish the works of God. We begin to extinguish the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do the work that He really wants to do. I'm fearful that human reasoning is extinguishing 
spirit revelation. Let me be perfectly honest. If someone sat me down January 1st, 2022, and said, this year, your church will give close to $40,000 in helping the refugees in Ukraine. $10,000 to help a pastor in a sensitive country where they only get electric two hours a day, which hinders their ministry, that your church will give $10,000 to put solar panels and buy them a generator so they can have effective ministry in an area that none of us would want to live. That through the ministry of Jamel Mayo, you'll give $5,000 for the training of pastors in Pakistan. You'll give another $7,500 to plant 11 churches in Vietnam. And on top of that, Jen will finally get a church here in Ronnie, and you will give another 25000 If someone told me that at the beginning of the year and said, all of that will happen in the first four months of the year, you know what I would have said? Loco en la cabeza. Crazy in the head. Because human reasoning limits the fire of the Holy Spirit. And God forbid, when we allow human logic, human reasoning, human rationalism to quench the Spirit's revelation. The refiner's fire must not be extinguished by self-worship. Wow. Explain this one, Pastor. Do you know what the refiner's fire is? The refiner. When God saved you, when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, that's not the end. That's just the beginning of a wonderful process called sanctification. God setting you apart, making you holy. Well, what is being holy? Well, we all know Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good, to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. But we often forget Romans 8.29, for those who God foreknew, God has foreknowledge, and he foreknew that one day you would give your heart to Jesus Christ. And in his foreknowledge of you giving your heart to Jesus Christ, he predestined you. And you know what his, he predestined you to be? He predestined you to be conformed into the image of God's Son. And that's the refiner's fire. You see, here's the conflict. God is more interested in character than he is in comfort. And we're more interested in comfort than we are character. And there's where the self-worship becomes. We, we don't want... How is silver, how is gold purified? It's heated to a high temperature. And all of a sudden... All the impurities come forth. It floats. It's like scum. And it's skimmed away. It's called dross. 
And here's the re, if a Proverbs 25, 4 says, remove the dross, remove the impurities from the silver, and out comes material fit for the silversmith. Here's the problem. Because we want comfort, we don't want to be heated. Because the world tells you, you deserve the best. You deserve comfort. You deserve pleasure. Treat yourself. We live in a feel-good society. If it feels good, just do it. And then all of a sudden, we start justifying this. Well, if the dross isn't hurting anybody, why is it wrong? If nobody's getting hurt by what I'm doing... I was sitting down talking to Pastor Todd this week and Pastor Matt, and we were just talking about some of the new philosophy of this world. There's a thing called my truth. Do you know what my truth is? My truth, if you see something and you see it's true, where other people see it's wrong, then it's your truth. There's no absolutes today. It's my truth. And here's the thing. Remove the dross. Well, my truth says there's nothing wrong with dross. My truth says it's not impurity. It's not impure. So how can you ask me to remove the dross because my truth says it's okay? And how do you even begin to rationalize, fight with that? The other thing that Pastor Todd was talking to me about is my authentic self. My authentic self. This is who I am, and if you don't like it, tough. I don't care. If dross, is, if impurity is a part of my life, well then that's just who I am, tough. And all of a sudden, we no longer become pliable in the master's hands. All along a sudden, we don't become fit material for the silver's master, for the, the silver master. And because of self-pleasure, self-indulgence, I have a right. We miss out on the refiner's fire of God conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Remember situational ethics? It's all a new word for situational ethics. Situational ethics said it's okay to cheat. It's okay to lie. It's okay to steal. Depending on the circumstance. If the circumstance calls for it, then it can't be wrong. It's my truth. It's my authentic self. It's just what I do. It's an impurity in my life. It's not hurting anybody. Tough. But nowhere in this word of God do I see Jesus Christ lying, cheating, or stealing. And it's his image that we're to be conformed into. Listen, this is nothing new. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve were in that garden? And they were told there's only one forbidden tree. When the woman saw the fruit of that tree, that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she what? 
ate it. And guys, if you're thinking you're holier than thou, remember Adam was standing right there alongside of her. He could have said, don't do it. But then she gave some to him. Now, do you know what follows next? As a result of eating, eating that tree, that fruit that was forbidden, do you know what? We, we have a right to please ourselves. We have a right. It just feels good. Therefore, we're going to do it. But do you know what follows next? Shame. How do you know shame? Because they covered themselves. And they hid themselves from God. Which is guilt. Shame. Guilt. How do we know they feel guilty? Because they hid themselves. And not only that, they started, well, she made me do it. Well, the serpent made me do it. Come on, when you're guilty, what do you start doing? You start to blame others. And that very thing that they thought was desirable and pleasurable and was going to bring them Pleasure brought them what? Captivity and bondage. And that's the lore of sin. The lore of sin. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it's pleasurable. But it leads to shame, guilt, captivity, and bondage. And he who knows the Son, the Son has set I had some more, but time is going. The refiner's fire. Let me skip that. The refiner's fire must not be extinguished by an imitation fire. Do you know there's an imitation fire out there? Just like in the days of Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, they took their senses, put fire in it, added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Contrary to his command. Do you know what happened to those two? Huh? You know what happened to those two? (laughs) They just dropped dead. There is no substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit, my friends. There is no substitute. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the power of the Holy Ghost came, it, it came with what appeared to be tongues of fire. And here in the upper room, the 120 plus in the upper room, all of a sudden these ordinary Galileans started to speak in other languages that all the people that came to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, all of a sudden heard the works of God, heard God being praised in their own native language. And as a result of that outpouring of God's Spirit in that supernatural phenomena of people hearing the works of God all in their native language, on that end of that day, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. That would be filling this church building up 10 times. That's how, in one day, 3,000. There's no substitute for the power of the Spirit. And what do we do? 
through intellect, through natural abilities, through natural charisma, through self-sufficiency, through creativity. We're always trying to duplicate that which the Spirit does. It's an imitation fire. There is no substitute for the power of the Spirit of God. I'm going to close with a translation of 1 Thessalonians 5.19 from J.B. Phillips' New Testament in Modern English. Never damp the fire of the Spirit. Now you say, that doesn't sound like modern English. Well, his translation of modern English was back in 1959. And you have to understand that word damp. Never damp the fire of the Spirit. That word damp means to, are you ready? Suffocate or choke. Diminish the activity or the intensity. Diminish the activity. Lessen the activity. Suffocate smoke. It's the old draft principle, draft control principle. Anybody know the draft control principle? In order for there to be fire, there needs to be three elements. Come on. There needs to be heat, oxygen, fuel. Spark is the, spark is the heat. Fuel is the wood or the coal. And oxygen, air. I'm going to take you down memory lane. All those who remember the... The early, the late 60s, mid 70s, gas shortage, lines. We thought, well, gas is probably cheaper back then when there was a shortage than it is now. Let's not go there. Come on, how many remember these things? Wood burning stoves. Heather's parents had a wood burning stove. My parents had an a, uh, insert. Uh, uh, insert in the fireplace that could burn wood and, and, and coal. And, and right those two circles, the, there were controls which, which controlled the airflow. And if you shut the airflow off, if you close those, those knobs off, it would stop the flow of air and it would suffocate the fire and the fire would go out because no oxygen. But when you wanted to get the fire first started, you open those knobs all the way for a good airflow. And I mean, that air is flowing. And before you know it, a little spark, you got a flame. And you would control the temperature of the wood or the coal through the flow of the airflow. The New Testament church knew about airflow. In Acts chapter 4, Remember, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. They healed him. As a result, they had to go to the Sanhedrin, the highest governing court, and give an account on how this man was healed. All of a sudden, it's like going to the highest court, uh, the Supreme Court. Here they are before the, the, the Supreme Court in today's world. And they turned up the heat. And what they said was, You are to no longer preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Now get out of here. But they went back to the church. 
And you know something? The church turned up the heat. And they had a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden in the prayer meeting, the building that they were meeting in shook. And you might be a human reasonist and and say, well, did the building really shake? Maybe it was just a metaphor. No, I'm not going to let human reasoning rule out the moving of the Spirit. I believe the building shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and a boldness. And kept preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 14. Peter was arrested. James had been beheaded. And Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. It was during Passover. So they waited till Passover was over. And they were going to bring Peter in to execute him. The night before his trial. As Herod was turning up the heat. I want you to know I read in God's word. Where God's church turned up the heat. And they had a prayer meeting. On the night before his trial. And Peter guarded by four guards. Was awoken by an angel. And the angel led him out of prison. And led him to the very house where the church was meeting, having a prayer meeting. I'm telling you, there is no substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't allow an imitation to snuff it out. We can't allow human reasoning and rationalism. We can't Allow human reasoning to snuff out, to extinguish the Spirit's revelation. And there's a refiner's fire that God wants to purify all of us in. And we can't allow self-worship and self-pleasure to keep us from doing God's work of making us holy and sanctified. I said in the lounge... We were, Heather was doing knitting, of course, and I was reading and doing the paper, doing the jumble, doing the cryptogram, doing the, the puzzles that I like to do. And every half hour, every half hour, that guy came in to maintain that fire. And I thought to myself, if only we could be as dedicated in maintaining the fire of the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us. Come on, somebody. Spirit move in this temple. Spirit move asking for fresh wind and fresh fire to consume the place. Keepers of the fire. 